everybody. Welcome back to My Seminary Life. I'm your host, Brandon Knight, and this is the second of three pastoral interviews that I'm doing on the subject of leadership. Last week, we had Pastor Ben Hickson on the show talking about uh, exactly what we're going to talk about again today, but he had it from his perspective. And today, we're going to have already back on the show, he was on the show back in early September, Pastor Will Rose. Pastor Will, welcome back already. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, I have... I have thoughts on leadership, so I um, appreciate you picking my brain and heart about the subject. Sure, of course. I think every pastor, I would imagine, has some type of opinion on this. I hope so, yeah. So they're kind of in the leadership position. Also in the studio with us today is Producer Cooper. So Producer Cooper, oh, that's pretty good. Uh, no, is Producer yeah. So uh if you do hear some crying in the background, it's okay. It's just lunchtime. So, <laughs> so Pastor Will, I know you talked about this a little bit last time. So you were on the show to talk about preaching from the common lectionary and liturgy and uh, the church calendar and all the stuff that's, that's normal in your Lutheran setting. And you talked about how you are a parish pastor for those who are dropping in for the very first time, could you just very quickly again recap for us, what is a parish pastor? Yeah, so I have a church, a congregation, uh, a parish, kind of old school language wrapped around that, a parish, kind of a territory of a, um, of a, of a congregation. We're, we're Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and so we have a fixed location uh, we're not in a house as a house church or a mission church out in the field somewhere, although all churches are mission churches, but uh, we have an address and a phone number and a website and a property that we own here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina that has two buildings on top of it. Um, and so that is that is our context. And we have, you know, around, uh, you know, 500-ish members on our church rolls that claim us as their church. And then we have around, you know, COVID has made everything kind of blurry, but, you know, we have about 250 people that engage with our worship service on a weekly basis, kind of our average worship attendance in person and then live streaming. Um, and then, so, so yeah, that's our parish. We have, um, and then, of course, a campus ministry attached to it because we're located kind of on the doorstep right beside University of North Carolina. And so we have a, a campus ministry as well. Um, but we're, we're a congregation that's a part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America in North Carolina. And um, that's, our, that's our context for ministry, a, a congregation, a parish. Uh, and I oversee and lead the congregational life of of this particular congregation that is 75 years old. I've been here 10 years, but it's a congregation that's been around for 75 years. So I've been here 10 years of those 75 years of its history. And uh, hopefully when I'm gone, uh, whether I take another call or I pass away into the Lord's eternal bliss, um, whenever that is that the church will continue after me and call another pastor to be parish pastor to lead this congregation uh, in ministry. Okay. All right. One of the, uh, so this is in fulfillment of a paper I have to write for my class leadership one-on-one and one of my, one of the, it has a fancier name than that, but that's what I'm calling it. And, uh, one of the things I'm excited about is I've got three different pastors lined up, uh, two in two different types of contexts, but all in different leadership positions. So, you're the parish pastor kind of overseeing everything. Uh, ben, who was on the show last week or in last week's episode, he's the campus pastor. So he's specifically over one of many locations of uh, a series of churches in this area. Mm -hmm. And then my friend Scott is going to be on the show next week. And I can never remember what his actual job title is, but it, it youth ministry is part of it. So We'll get to hear a little bit of the youth ministry side next week. Yeah, yeah, good. So 
we're going to be talking about four specific areas of leadership today. Uh, servant leadership, mentoring, vision casting, and being a change agent. So those are the four areas that we're going to be talking about and picking your brain to see what you have to say on these topics. So, yeah, could you repeat that one time? I'll write them down because that's pretty good stuff. <laughs> okay. All right. So four areas, two questions each. It's kind of like a game show. Uh, servant leadership. Uh -huh. Servant leadership. Got it. Mentoring. Mm -hmm. Vision casting. Good. And being a change agent. Got it. All right. Because if there's one be thing one. church people like is change. So yeah, I can't oh, wait yeah. for that one. A less a less debated area. All right. When it comes to servant leadership, this is you know a term that we like to uh, toss around within Christianity, kind of the ideal, the ideal way to do leadership. How would you define servant leadership? Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind is, is, you know, who we model our faith and ministry patterns after, which I hopefully that's, that's the case after, after Jesus himself, who took the posture of a servant by washing his disciples feet, serving his neighbor, um, those so so taking our lead from from jesus himself when it comes to the kind of the idea of um of servanthood uh bending down uh getting dirty getting your hands dirty washing feet that that kind of stuff so that that posture of humility of serving others and often we think of leadership as kind of might makes right or the the strongest person in the room and they're gonna you know kind of uh, you know, you throw their weight around and, and follow me. And, and, and yeah, there's, there's an element of confidence. There's an element that you have to be you know, kind of secure in your own self. And there's a sense of confidence and strength that comes with leadership, but, but more so I think, uh, humility, vulnerability, uh, servanthood is, is pattering after, after Jesus. And, um, there was a book I, I read when I was on sabbatical by Brene, uh, Brene Brown, Dare to Lead. And the whole book is wrapped around, um, you know, vulnerability and love and servanthood, not necessarily uh, strength and might wins the day or you always have to be first and, and a winner, but, but more of, of leading, walking with people and serving with them along the way. Okay. What was the name of that book again? Brene Brown wrote it. Uh, Brene Brown, and, and she has some TED Talks and some Netflix shows out there. She's not necessarily a theologian. I think she's still a person of faith. Um, I'm just not sure where, but she has a book called Dare to Lead. And if you want like the Cliff Note version of that, you can watch her Netflix TED Talk. Uh, it's not a comedy show. It's just kind of an inspirational speech on mm -hmm. leadership. Um, and so, uh, yeah, she's good. She's good. Okay. I'll have to look into that just to continue to round myself out as I'm doing my studies for this class. Surprised I don't have to read that book. I have four books for this class, one a week. So wow. it's been, it's been a lot of reading. Yeah. So again, this idea of servant leadership is often seen as the biblical way to lead because we're modeling the example of Jesus who washed the disciples feet, lived a servant life. He, um, submitted to the Father's will. You know, Jesus was was submissive, but still a leader and still a servant. Right? Is servant is servant leadership the biblical way to lead, or is it a weed? Oh, a way for pastors to lead? Um. Yeah, I think it is the biblical way, and and so often I think that's also kind of an excuse to to be passive or to feel like you're a martyr or that you're, <laughs> you know, getting beat up for the Lord kind of thing. And I, and I don't think that's necessarily the thing. I think, you know, Jesus stood up for himself and for others, but he also willingly um, 
went to the cross and he he bent down and washed feet. So I think people see authenticity. They don't want to see you. Yeah, you want to be a leader on the floor. I think of a sports analogy of a point guard who's, you know, making sure everyone gets the ball and 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 spreading it out and kind of uh, general on the floor, directing where people should go and and stand. And so there's there's part of that. It's not necessarily being passive, but it's it's uh, letting people know that you're walking with them. That you have a sense of kind of authenticity about yourself. That you're not better than the other person, or or more important than the other person. That you're a servant with them um, as as you kind of, that's the way you carry yourself in the world. Uh, not, um, I, I think humility versus being prideful, you know, um, uh, servant versus like, I gotta be strong and win at every cost. I think that there's, there's countercultural ways that leadership within the church for Jesus followers, um, and ministers, um, should have. I like this analogy you used of a servant leader, being like a point guard because you know there has been some great point guards throughout nba history you know i uh though i am a bulls fan by destination i've always really respected uh steve nash from the suns he was a Mm -hmm. deal back when i was uh he was a big deal back like when i was in middle school and high school i don't even know if Mm -hmm. he still plays or not but i think of a guy like that where point guards they make things happen they spread the ball and they have great skills and talents, but they're not the flashy guy. You know, they're not the, they're not Shaq down in the paint or Michael Jordan or, or Scotty Pippen, those power forwards that can make the big moves, you know, but you have to have a point guard to get the direct, get the, like you said, be the general, get everything in place and spread the ball out. Right, right. And it's kind of like you're the person who's finding the potential in other people and helping them thrive. And so, yeah, yeah, there, there, there's a category and a reward for being the assist leader for the year. Um, but, you know, the, the person who dunks or scores the most point is going to be the all-star of, of the league. But the point guard, you know, spreads around. How are you making other people better? And, and sometimes some of those things get unnoticed. And so you're helping people thrive. And I think that sometimes uh, ministers, um, he or she, that, that are leading churches, they get the limelight and, and they, they sometimes uh, are in the business to get their own egos or attention um, longing uh, stroked. But, but really, it's, it's how are you helping your people thrive and grow in their own faith and succeed and how they, they follow Jesus. All right. I like that. Like that a lot. You're going to, I'm going to write a killer paper by the end of this. So <laughs> moving on from, moving you on from the book. Leader. You could write a book on it and then like publish it and I'll put it on your, um, on your website and, and swag, uh, merch thing and I'll, I'll buy one. All right. There we go. I got to pick up your book sometime too. Yeah. Yeah. Here you go. For my Easter readings. Uh, it's a quick read. It's a quick read. Oh, that's, oh, producer Cooper, it's okay. <laughs> All right. See, so he wants on. the book too. He's like, I want that book. I want that I book. Do. I like Pastor Will's voice. And uh, so moving on from servant leadership now into mentoring. So this is one of the big areas that is often talked about in, in leadership that leaders are supposed to be mentoring people, creating new leaders, um, getting the next generation of leaders started up. What role should a leader play in the life of someone they are mentoring? So for you personally, as you're mentoring people or have mentored people in the past, what role should a pastor play in someone's life like that? Yeah, and there's been different areas of mentoring, you know, like within the congregation, you're discipling and mentoring people uh, to follow Jesus closer and to grow in their faith. And then I've been in roles where I've had a church that was near a seminary, and so we would have field um, field interns who would come and practice leading worship and practice uh, wearing a clerical collar and being a minister in our midst. I've had interns for a whole year where they've done their internship with us. So, so there's part of that balance of showing people 
how to do things and then allowing them to do it. So, so yeah, watch me, see what I do, ask questions, why I'm doing what I'm doing and why does that matter or not? And then it's your turn to get up front and do those things as well, whether it's leading a meeting or leading the prayers or preaching or, or, um, you know, leading a, a youth icebreaker, you know, kind of see how I do it, then you do it. And then let's process what that looks like. And what did you learn from it? What do you feel like you did bad or, or good or what mistakes you made or, or what you felt uncomfortable with or what kind of energy you have feel within yourself? What made you nervous you know, um, before and after? And so part of that processing is, is letting them do it not being afraid uh, if they're not going to do it perfectly or not, or just exactly the same. You're going to do it. They're going to have their own style. You're not creating a clone of yourself. Again, you're helping the other person thrive in the gifts that they have. So yeah, I'm an extrovert and I love youth games. They may be an introvert and hate icebreakers. So they're not going to do that as much, you know, um, whereas I'm always thinking about how to make it into a game and an icebreaker, you know, <laughs> no matter what, who I'm with. So, um, but that might not be their jam. They might do other things better. Um, and in a different way and so finding their own style helping them be comfortable in their own skin i think that's a big part of leadership and growing as a leader in the church how do you feel comfortable in your own skin and then and then helping other people feel feel comfortable um as they grow into their pastoral identity so so yeah mentoring is, is always there and it's not easy because sometimes it's easier to do things on your own like i it just be easier for me to do this because i know how to do it but equipping somebody else to help you do it so they can learn and grow is is a big part of the call to, to pastoral ministry, whether it's someone who's going to be a minister one day or whether it's just someone in the congregation who wants to take on some leadership to be a youth advisor or um, lead a ministry team or, or be church council president. You know, they how do you mentor and show show them where to go? I, I joke, you know, pastor. Um, literally means like shepherd so so yeah there's a way that i'm a shepherd where i'm guiding a herd of sheep uh in a certain mm -hmm. direction but i also joke that um maybe i'm not the shepherd maybe i'm the sheep dog that's barking at people and nipping at heels so that people can be closer to the true good shepherd jesus himself so um pointing to jesus but but being that sheep dog helping them get closer to to the true shepherd okay I think, man, you really laid it out there just step by step. And I think you've got a good grasp on what mentoring should look like of not just like doing it all myself because I can do it. Just watch me do this thing, whatever it is, but um, bring someone alongside you and having them observe and then put them in that situation for that person to give it a try and just and having the honest conversation of. Did you enjoy it or was that just, you know, was that the most cringy thing you've ever had to do in your life? Like <laughs> it's important. We, I was just reading um, next generational leadership by Andy Stanley. That's this week's book. And one of the big things that he emphasizes really early on is focusing on the things that you are actually gifted at and delegating, delegating the other tasks that, Maybe you're not as gifted in or you're not as energized by doing. So that way you can put more focus and more chips down on what you're good at and what you thrive at leading. It. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I think that's what that's part of good mentoring, you know? Yeah. And it's like this idea of apprenticeship, you know, when you bring someone on as an apprentice, you're not just in, in hiring an employee to do grunt work or do certain things you you want to pass it on so like i want you know i want this ministry if i care for this ministry and care for this church i want it to survive when i'm not here yeah it could strike it could really strike my ego that if i left things crumble because i'm not the glue that held it held it apart you know held it i'm the glue that held it together. you can't i just can't survive without me that's that's ego leadership and ego driven i want this to thrive and be better when i leave than when i started and so part of that is equipping people to do those jobs and do those ministries and do those things within the congregational life um that that if i leave tomorrow that they can still thrive um without me and that's hard because you know you want to be and, and of course i have deep relationships so if i did leave people would grieve and there'd be a way to 
we'd all grieve and and uh, try and figure out what's the next chapter in the life of the congregation because you can't help but take on part of the leader's personality. But they, um, you know, I wanted, yeah, if I left tomorrow, I hope that Holy Trinity wouldn't skip a beat and would um, be even better a year from now. Nice. Whatever better means. <laughs> better <laughs> another subject. <laughs> so when it comes to mentoring situations, what are a few things, two or three things that you make sure that you communicate, teach, uh, share with the person that you are mentoring? Oh, man, that's good. That's good. Um, I would say uh, when it comes to, especially for pastoral, if I'm mentoring someone who's in seminary or wants to be a parish pastor one day, uh, but even leadership in, in like a lay minister who's in charge of a committee or ministry team or church council, I would say, you know, uh, be a good listener and make sure you communicate and you answer messages. I don't care what age you are. If you get a text, you answer it. I don't care if you get an email or whether what well, your thoughts on emails, you answer it. You respond to people because they're taking time to communicate. It doesn't mean you have to do it right then and there. It doesn't mean that if you your day off, you have to answer all your emails, but at least mark them and make sure that you let your people know that you're listening to them, you hear them, and then um, and that you like, yeah, I got your email. Thanks. I'll answer it on, on Monday or I appreciate your message and, and I'll look at this deeper in another day. Um, but I think I think responding responding to people's messages. I know we're all like, you know, spread thin with so many messages we get during the day and in different ways, whether it's DMs through social media or emails or texts, but but I think you have to you have to pay attention and not ghost people um, and and and, and be a good listener and what they're trying to ask and say. So um, it's not saying you don't, you set up, you don't set up boundaries uh, for when and how, but, but I, you gotta, you gotta communicate well. Um, and then the other thing would be like, make sure you know how to read the room. Um, a key leader and a mentor, I was like, as a pastor, as someone who's shepherding, you want to know you're trying to gauge the uh, emotional intelligence or the tension that's in a room. So whether it's a um, um, on a Sunday morning or at a meeting or at a funeral or a wedding, read the room, get beyond your own self and your own ego and your own nervousness or uncomfortable around it and, and focus on people who are there and, and learn how to read it. So if things are tension filled, maybe you need to do something to relieve the tension or if people aren't taking things seriously, you have to help them take the situation more seriously. And one of the hardest parts of, of COVID was that, you know, on a Sunday morning, I'm reading the room and looking across the room of, of 100 and so people. And, and I, I know people's disposition and I can kind of read faces and body language. And, and if there's somebody who's really extroverted and, and positive most of the time, and I notice on a Sunday that they're drooping their head or they're holding their head in a way that, that looks like they're, they're carrying a weight from the upcoming week, I'll, I'll follow up the next week and say like, hey, hey Mary, I saw you in, in church. Um, how are you doing? What's going on? How, how's life? And, and follow up with that. COVID took that away because we were live streaming and I didn't see people. Running. So part of my pastoral anxiety was um, not knowing how people are doing on the other side of the screen. Um, and there's, you know, it's there sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's nothing big, but, but yeah, reading the room, trying to read people's body languages, um, I think is important. And, and so I'd want, if I'm mentoring a, a leader, I want them to be able to um, when they get in a room with people, be understand what's going around you. Be self-aware of your own self, but also reading the room. So those are the two things I would I would really focus in on. I really like those two answers. You know, I I think about if I would have answered this question, I would have said something along the lines of you know how to run a meeting or how to you know maybe Bible studying tips or how to teach better or whatever, which are all important things. But I, I really like how you got to people first. You know, you listen and you communicate well with those people, with other people. You read the room, try to navigate, you know, what's, what's the tension like in here right now? Who, who, needs, who needs some love? Who needs some attention right now? Like yep. you, Cooper. Um, <laughs> right. He's like, read the room, dad. Um, read the room. no, I, 
<laughs> yeah, because I think experience in leading Bible study, in leading meetings, even if you're not great at it right at first, that's going to come with experience. And the more you lead and the more you understand, it's like teaching or any craft. You put in your 10,000 hours and you're going to get better at it. You're going to understand it more. So those are going to come. You're not going to be the perfect meeting leader day one you're you're not gonna be uh the perfect bible teacher right out of the gate but you're gonna learn as you go that's gonna come when you put in your experience your ten thousand dollars but 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 at the beginning if you focus on people first and creating good habits of how to manage your calendar uh manage your time manage how you respond to people and read the room and understand people that you're entrusted with um then that's going to take you a long way uh, from the beginning, you're going to get that kind of relationship credibility and, and uh, that will carry you in your ministry and people will trust you, you know, relationships are built on care and trust. And so how are they going to trust you as a leader? And, and they want to know that you, you're invested in them. Again, that's not saying that you have to forget yourself or not set boundaries because that's a whole nother conversation that's important for pastoral leaders. But, um, but I think from the get go, that's what I press. Um, All right. Yeah. I like that yeah. a lot. So one of the other key areas of leadership is casting a vision for your church. This is one of the other books I had to read was Bill Hybels' Courageous Leadership, which he really emphasizes having a vision. It's a big thing for him in the book. Right. How did right. you come, how did you arrive at the vision that you have for your church? in the context it's in. Yeah, well, um, I think at first you spend time getting to know your people in context before you set the vision. Yeah, when you're interviewing, they were like, what, what are your values and, and what do you hope that this congregation could do? If you were going to be a pastor here, what would you be, what would you do in the first hundred days? All, all that stuff. And that, and that there's general terms that you can, and general values you can live into and say, this is what I hope our congregation would be. But I think the first year you're in a, in a congregation, you need to spend a lot of time listening first and, and really getting to know the people so that you understand your context. Um, and then you, you create the vision from there. So you have your own vision of what general ministry is for any context of how to follow Jesus and be a servant and the important aspects of, of the gospel. And there's universals across the board. Yep. Um, we're all sinners that are in need of redemption. There's good news with the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. That's, that's the vision. <laughs> but how does that articulate to the particular context that this church finds in? So my church is uh, on the doorstep of a university and there's a lot of doctors and professors and teachers and students and grad students. So what's important to them in their life? I need to spend some time thinking through with them and understanding where they are in their stages of life first before I set vision. So um, that that is what I would do. Um, a lot of listening first. My first congregation, I was in, in Florida and and I, I think, you know, there I made a comment. Um, I wasn't there very long and there was a cross that led people into worship and led people out of worship, you know, the, the processional cross that, that was given. And I, and it was not a very pretty cross. I was just like, what is that thing? Like we could have a more ornate or more or bigger cross. Like what is, you know, and I made some like, you know, smart ass comment about like, you know, that cross is pitiful or something. And, and then like someone turned and looked at me and said, you know what, that cross was donated by a family who's, son committed suicide and i was like oh <laughs> you know i was like okay yeah. if i would have known that story or if i would have asked a different way hey what's the story behind mm -hmm. the cross why why do we have that cross in worship that yeah. particular one someone would have shared the story and i'm like okay that was given in honor of of this kid that committed suicide and i wouldn't have made a, a comment i would have understood it had a beauty from a different angle so you know, those kinds of things have taken time to listen first and learn people's story for at least like, and I've had some of your professors tell me, don't change anything in the first year. Even if you, there's some practice that you think is stupid or, you know, you don't believe that American flag should be in the sanctuary. Don't, don't go amend guns a blazing, <laughs> Move, sure. changing that first, take some time to, to get to know people, let people trust you first, then set the vision. Don't change the worship times or how many times you have communion the first week you're in. In the in in the pastor's chair, um, take time to listen of why they do what they do, and then set the vision, and then think through with them 
and help them take ownership. I think that, yeah, it might be your vision to have communion more often or, or do a different worship time, but let other people be invested and take ownership with that too. Um, so that they feel like they're a part of the decision. That's some really good advice not to change things within the first year that you are there. I've, I've been given that advice before too, from other people in ministry. Uh, and you talked about, you know, even if it's something that you, you think, or you really believe that is, that needs to be changed to take it slowly. Still. I had a friend, he was a pastor of a Christian reformed church for 10, 12 years. And he did not like, they had a very pro America church service, very Christian nationalism like service right, right before the 4th of July. And he did not like that. He did not agree with it, but he spent, I think he said like three or four years of slowly like changing things, processing things, learning, asking questions, like you said, until they were able to move away from that type of a service every year. So, yeah. And there's some in the interview process when you're getting to know people, there, there may be like, some of the question you may ask them is like they're asking about you but you're like hey what are some things that you think are important um you know tasks and and goals that you want as a congregation if you could change one thing what would it be and it, it's not a hard and fast rule they might be like hey we're ready to change and do a contemporary worship service next week we help us shape it okay cool let's 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 do it you know that from the get-go um but but as a whole do more listening than pushing your weight around or saying, I just got out of seminary and I know all theological truths and I'm going to do this or that. That's going to, that's, that's not going to fly with folks, especially if they have a long history um, of being now, you're doing a mission church, you're starting from scratch, you're bringing people together. Yeah. You have that creative process of shaping what you want from the get go. But most of the time you're going to go in a congregation that existed before you uh, and will yeah. exist after you. And so you have to be that, have that self-awareness that you're not the, the savior. You're not the one who's going to save them. They've already been saved by Jesus and you're just one piece in the puzzle um, of, of their hopefully long life as a congregation. Nice. All right. So vision casting, don't make, don't make any big changes within the first year. Listen, ask questions. You talked about ownership, making it feel like everybody has ownership of what this vision is. It's not just you like pounding on the door of this is what we're doing now. Have you ever been in a ministry situation where there was no vision and how did that go? Yeah, I think definitely in transition. I, I've always been a part of congregations that have had some history and have a vision and already have kind of a self-understanding of who they are and what their gifts are. And you kind of help them discern that. And part of the call process of going to a congregation, they're doing that work before you get there. Hopefully they're doing the hard work with their bishop or supervisor or leadership in their conference that are leading them through big questions. They're like, who are we and what do we do well? And what do we want to do better? They're, they're working on that stuff. So by the time they're interviewing you, you're, you got to get a good picture of what the congregation hopes for. But I, I was called after my first church and, and before my second church, I was kind of an interim campus pastor in South Carolina, University of South Carolina with the Lutheran campus ministry. And they were in a big transition. They had a partnership with the Methodist campus ministry, but they had decided they want to kind of do things on their own and they wanted a different building and they had a big graduating class. So they're kind of floundering. Who are we without being a part of this kind of collaboration, ecumenism with this other other church and and it was probably best for the long term to to kind of do their own things so they can have their own identity but it was a year of like who are we what are we doing and so i just kind of you know you start simple and it was like all right you know we're not we're not the uh 100 200 member parachurch uh campus crusade for christ down the road but we got a good 15 people here who you know are trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up and and want to take their faith seriously so let's have some conversations of what that looks like so you just kind of start simple so that's what i did you start from scratch what's our mission what is our vision where is our niche on campus what do we do differently than other campus ministries that 
may attract other people. If another campus marine does stuff really well, we don't need to repeat that. Um, let them do that. That's their that's their gift to the campus. But what what do we do well? And so kind of walk through that and help them prep the students for the next pastor that was coming in. Okay. So in your experience then, not having a vision is almost like lacking an identity for the church. And you had to step in and help them find a bit of their identity. Right. Yep. Say. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's a good way to put that. All right. Well, now it's time for our third and final area of leadership. The one that you highlighted right back up at the beginning that, yeah, not too many people like change, but being a leader <laughs> means that you have to be a change agent or that you are trying to change things, whether it takes, you know, a couple years, couple months, whatever it may be, you're looking to make changes. How have you been a change agent in your ministry? Yeah, I mean, I think um, there is this balance. Uh, well, there's the old jokes, like how many, how many Lutherans does it take to change a light bulb? And then the people ask, change? Um, so, so there, there, <laughs> uh, why would we do that? But, but I think, you know, we're in a, there's a balance of, you want church to be a place where people feel safe and comfortable and catch their breath in in a very busy, unstable world. So you want them to feel like they're having a Sabbath. You feel like they're catching their breath. There's a lot of nostalgia wrapped up with church, you know, your favorite hymns and, you know, memories of, of times past and your grandma and your parents and, you know, um, so, so all that is, you know, it's like being a Star Wars fan. You want the stuff that really made you a fan to begin with, but you also want a, a new story to be told. But there's a fine line of toxic fandom. They're like, no, it's not like the exact same one I just saw, or it's too much like the one before. So it, it's, it's right. very similar in other circles. Church is the same way. So, so people want to come and they want what's familiar and they want their favorite playlist and they want to feel comfortable and catch their breath, but they also want to be challenged. They also want to grow. And so, so there is a balance there. You want to help people change and grow and, and where, where they're too comfortable, you want to challenge them and, and where they're, um, where they're too challenged, you want to bring them comfort. So yeah, that's hard. And that's an, a moving target. And that's a big part of growing and, and trying to find that balance And some Sundays and weeks you do it better than others. But, um, but yeah, you just keep reminding people that, that we are, um, uh, the only constant thing, unchanging thing in the world is that there is change and that people change and grow and evolve and, and it's a part of life. And so you bring the gospel into that and that church is part of that too. COVID, you know, our, our church debated and, and wrestled with, should we live stream our services or not? Should we record our services? Should, should we do a podcast or not? Um, and and we just kept procrastinating every week because we just didn't feel like we had enough time or resources to do it. And then immediately when, when the shutdown happened with COVID, we were like, I guess this is the week we go online. No, no excuses now. We got to learn fast. And, and we did. So that changed, made it happen. Uh, we were forced into that. And, and I think we do it pretty well. And we have a good online community as well as in person. And so that change happened. So I think people don't like change. They like nostalgia. They, they want security but you also want people to grow so my job as a pastor is to um comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable and uh um and and let them understand that change is a part of life and church is too and so you, you're pastoral in that there's a time to be pastoral and say yep i know things are changing it's hard let's do this together and then there's times like prophetic where you're like guys if we don't change then uh we're going to be like uh, blockbuster video and just be like a memory of the past <laughs> yeah okay um yeah i want i, I guess really yeah yeah and i guess okay. specific i guess specific a, sp a specific specific example of that would be our conversation now post-covid is um you know, we really are bought, you know, the everyone in the world has the we're hiring or we're short staffed sign up in their, their window. 
every restaurant, whatever. The church is too. Like we we don't have enough people who are volunteering to be ushers or readers during church or to sure. set the altar on a Sunday. The same people are doing it. And we feel kind of short staffed because that's just the kind of way things are. So so we're having to rethink how we sign people up, how we ask what we do. If we don't have somebody, if we don't have an acolyte or a youth to light the candles on the altar, well, maybe we just don't need candles anymore. We have electricity. I can read the book. I don't need candles. Um, you know, <laughs> those candles are left over from the Middle Ages when they didn't have electricity. So um, maybe we do something different um, and just take them off and not even do that anymore. Uh, but we always used to do that. And that's a big, uh, when I was in church, I was an acolyte. I want my kid to be an acolyte, but then sign them up. But if not, it doesn't mean we have to lie. Let's get a different way to do it. So that balance of, of change now that's happening within the church is, is accelerated with kind of a post-COVID world. Nostalgia is a great contributing factor to disgruntled Star Wars fans and also church members. You know, that's a great way. To describe that and I was really interested in asking you these two questions about change being a change agent because you have been a pastor in this specific congregation now for 10 years uh, Ben who was on the show last time he's only been on the job at our camp at our church for five months so he talked a lot about how you don't rush in and make a lot of changes at first like you were talking about with vision right. cast Mm-hmm. But I also know that in your, in light of our last time that we talked about liturgy and church calendar and blah, 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 your, your context has a lot of tradition. And there are some traditions like you just pointed out of, hey, these candles, do we really actually need to do these candles? There are some traditions right. that you can change, but not everything <laughs> in your context right. and just immediately changed. So I was interested to see what you had to say for that. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, yeah, maybe we the, the weekly light of candles on the altar is if if maybe that's something that, that will go by the wayside. But, you know, lighting candles for the Advent wreath and preparation for Christmas. Yeah, sure. we wouldn't change that, you know, or the Christ candle by the baptismal font or the eternal candle that's lit in our sanctuary representing that Christ is always present with us. That has theological like symbolism that hopefully sure. will point to a, a greater thing and some some things evolve and aren't as important um and then some things are like we're going to hold on to this and make sure that happens so our last question here on being a change agent you've you've answered in part already and that is what are some roadblocks to change now you brought up nostalgia which is one of the (laughs) love for the past maybe an idealized view of the past in certain situations are there any other roadblocks to change yeah, I think this uh, church is filled with people that have different personalities and tastes. And so sometimes um, you get this kind of competitive um, aspect to church life of who's in charge, who feels most important, who feels listened to. You have different groups that may lobby or form together to get make change happen or to resist change. You know, there have been times when, you know, when I first got to Holy Trinity, we tried to um, call another pastor to be the youth director, and that hadn't happened before. We, it was just been a, a youth director, a part-time youth director, um, okay. or or uh, you know, just someone who's a lay minister who would who would lead the youth program. But I was trying to get a pastor in here because I thought she had gifts, and and then and and I had kind of a, a group form off to the side that I didn't know was forming to kind of resist that and lobby against it. And I yeah, I was like, oh wow, this is what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> why not come to me? You're lobbying against it. Why not come and put this out, mm-hmm. put this out and talk to me uh, right away rather than triangulating me with other people? And and um, and so I, I just kind of called it out and said, all right, if you get and I went and I knew they were having a meeting. And I, I showed up at the meeting uh, uninvited and said, oh, guys, just let's be honest with one If I'm going to be here for a long time and we got to listen, what are your concerns and why don't you want to do this? We had to have some hard conversation and not get defensive about it. I think that's a key part of leadership too, is is not is being self-aware of your own defensiveness um, and, and what, you know, like you have to define, defend yourself to be right all the time. Um, 
I think that's hard. It's hard for me. Um, but, but yeah, there, there's groups, I think triangles being open and honest and not triangulating. I'm going to, instead of talking to my youth director, Holly, I'm going to go talk to another person about her so that they will talk to her, you know, like, why don't I just talk to her first? Don't triangulate, just go, go to the person face to face, um, and, and do that. I have funny story when I, um, when I was taking my art in the Lutheran church, when I was going to seminary before I went to seminary, they wanted me to take a psychological exam, you know, just make okay. sure that I'm stable, you know, that <laughs> a psychologist come in and give me, you know, this exam, um, you know, and I was nervous about it, you know, but, but I knew I was, I was stable enough that I was going to be fine. You know, nobody's sure. perfect, but they're going to help me see things. Um, but at the right, when I was, went to get the, the grade of the psychological exam, what, review, what it revealed. Um, the first thing the psychologist said, he goes, this, this test shares that um, you can sometimes be defensive. And I went, no, I'm not. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. I was like, wait a minute. I'm being defensive right now, aren't I? And he goes, yeah. And I went, that was a trick. He was like, no, not necessarily. And so he walked with me some of the answers of what I was <laughs> I was like, so, so that always stood out to me. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I tend to get defensive and want to be right and want to make sure that I'm being heard. But, but, but yeah, yeah, a defensive, a, a defensive stance or posture will, will uh, not go a long way when you're trying to create authentic relationships. So um, I hope that gets to it some, but there's roadblocks just uh, being open and honest and authentic and, and not triangulating your people or, or triangulating other people would be, mm-hmm. would be key for that. That reminds me of one of the other books we had to read was Lee Anderson's uh, leading that change leadership, that leadership, that something, I don't remember what it was called anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and one of the sections that really stood out to me, as opposed to the title of the book, was on how churches reward dysfunction. Churches reward dysfunctional people, dysfunctional leaders, and they named off a number of situations, much like the one you were talking about, of people lobbying and rallying to go around decisions or trying to push agendas to change opinions and decisions rather than handling it in a emotionally healthy, mature, Christ honoring way. It, it happens a lot. And it's sad that this is a normal thing in churches. Yeah. And, you know, people are people and we're in the people business. It's hard. And you have to remind folks that we're, we're different from the world. We're not a, a political party or that we're a, um, you know, a, a business, we're, we're a church, we're Christ followers, but, but yeah, there, there's aspects you have to do, do some poli- politics you have to figure out how to, how to run a healthy stewardship of your finances. <laughs> and so there, all that comes into play it, It's we're in the world, not of it, but yet we're, we're all people. And so you got to navigate there. Those are just realities. And, and if you feel like you're going to leave a church, like I'm done with this church because there's too much politics and bickering and, and fights over what should happen with the graveyard or the flag. I'm going to go to another church. Well, you're just going to find the same thing, maybe a different way, but you're going to find it at a different church too. Is <laughs> there? You're not going to escape it. Um, there are some churches more toxic than others and have a lot of trauma and, and act out in different ways. But um, but still, people are people, and and if you're running from one church to another, I think you're going to find a perfect situation. The grass isn't greener. It's going to be there too. Yeah, figure out how to deal with that and manage it and and call it out when it needs to be called out. Yeah, for sure. Well, Pastor Will, this has been a great conversation. I've always I always enjoy getting a chance to talk to you about geeky stuff or church related things. Where can people find you if they want to hear you talk more about those stuff? Yeah, so I'm I'm on on Facebook and Instagram if you want to follow me there, and then. Um, our, our church has a, um, a YouTube page, Holy Trinity Chapel Hill, um, that you could check out our worship services and sermons and, and subscribe and smash that like button, all that jazz. If you want to check us out. Um, and then, yeah, just shoot me a message, DM me or shoot me an email, um, and I'd be happy to answer any questions or connect with you. Now, like you said, like I said in here, I, I answer messages. So uh, if you right. shoot me one, I'm probably going to answer it. Uh, maybe not immediately the same day, but eventually I will, I will, I will answer your message back. And we'll uh, put links to those in the description so you can 
find his church, find systematic ecology, whatever you may be interested in, where you can also, and also in the description, you can find links to other things like the My Seminary Life shop, where we have a whole bunch of great items, including a pint glass. Pastor Will loves drinking out of his uh, his pint glass from the shop. I appreciate that you picked that up. I I shoot you screenshots of of, uh, beer in my pint glass. So uh, often it's a hazy IPA that uh, you can't Mm. separate because that's the kind of beer I like. I just finished the Lord. No, I got one more of the Lord of the Rings hazy IPA. It's been pretty good. Oh, man. Yeah. A lot of of cross sections there. That's fair. Oh, yeah. One last question before we wrap up today's episode, Pastor Will. You have talked about how your church is on the doorstep of the University of North Carolina, which is, which means you're in a college town, which yeah. tells me yeah. that there are pizza places. There's got to be a lot of pizza places in Chapel Hill. Where Where's the good places to get pizza where you're at? What's the pizza scene like? Man, you know, I mean, I wish I could say there was good pizza, but a lot of the Franklin Street, which is kind of the downtown main street, a lot of restaurants, coffee shops, breweries and stuff right there on, it's the street that everybody, you know, storms when we beat Duke in the Final Four kind of thing, um, has has a lot of turnover with restaurants and things because it's just expensive to keep it. So there there used to be some good pizza places, but but not not anymore. So I'm sad to share that like, most of the time when I get pizza, I, I get it like Pizza Hut or Domino's. But on the far oh, end of the street in Carborough, there is a little pizza place called Italian Pizzeria 3. And it's a bunch of these guys who are legit Italian. They speak Italian to each other. And uh, and, and, and yeah, they, IP3 is kind of the college town pizza place down there. If we're going to get pizza or I mean, a pizza place, we, we go down there. And, um, and, and, but it has, it's beside like the best hamburgers in town or best hamburgers I've ever had. And around that corner is beer studies, like a, a bottle shop. And then next door to that is like a barcade with old school video oh, nice. games like Pac-Man and Donkey Kong and Galaga and pinball uh, beside that. So that's like my favorite corner and street uh, here in town in Carborough. They, they do good stuff. So, um, so yeah, like as, as I was thinking through, like on the main street right here, a lot of things going to be, but down the road in, in Carborough, uh, you know, two miles drive is, is IP3 okay. is what I would, would I would suggest to folks if they're in town. That is, yeah, that sounds like the best corner in America to go hang out. Oh, that's so good. And I was so scared that during COVID that those places would go go under. I was like contributing to their GoFundMe pages to keep them above water. <laughs> I, was, I was making offerings, uh, uh, offerings to, to those places. So please stay open. Please stay alive. That's awesome. Well, again, thank you for being on the show, Will. And thank you all for listening to this episode. Again, Scott's going to chime in next week on this topic of leadership. So we're looking forward to that. Thank you for listening. And remember, keep on studying.